I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When a man identifying himself as a detective calls a restaurant to inform the manager their employee is now a suspect in a theft, how far would everyone go to comply with this authority figure? This is the Louise Ogborn story. Amy, I'm pretty excited that we are soon going to have a proper and dedicated recording studio again. Yes, congratulations on the new house. Thank you so much. You should see the room where we'll be recording. It's fabulous. It's I can't wait. I liked our old one in our uh, in the apartment, but it was small and we had to use it as also a guest room. So we'd had to tear the studio down, put it back up. But now we have a dedicated studio and you're you're building a dedicated studio, too. I am. I can't say when it'll be ready, but yeah, yours is going to be a little longer <laughs> than mine. So it's all right. You guys are going to come spend some times over. Yes. Um, I can't wait seriously to have you guys over to spend weekends recording, having Exciting. you over. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, I am really so all about today's case. I got really into this one. I mean, I know I say that a lot, but it's true. I watched a movie about this case recently, and that's how I got the idea. And though I knew the basic gist of the story, I had no idea about the details. And let me tell you, the devil is in the details. Hold tight on this one, Amy. Louise Ogborn, an 18-year-old girl, was just months away from finishing her senior year of high school in the area of Mount Washington, Kentucky. She was described as an average high schooler, a churchgoer, a former Girl Scout as well. She was working part-time at a local McDonald's and had been taking on extra shifts recently for $6.35 an hour to help her family because her mother had just lost her job. 
Louise had never been in trouble at school, nor with the law. She was, you know, considered a good kid. It would appear that this would suddenly change, though, on April 9th, 2004, when Louise arrived for an extra shift at McDonald's, where she was scheduled to work the register. I say that because, you know, there's a register, there's a line, Mm -hmm. there's the kitchen, like a whole different area. The events that followed after Louise arrived for her shift began with one phone call. The phone call was placed to the McDonald's where Louise was on shift. The call was answered by the manager of the restaurant, a woman named Donna Jean Summers. The caller identified himself as Officer Scott and informed Donna that he had a victim with him at the police station who was claiming that an employee from McDonald's had stolen money from her purse earlier while she was eating at that branch. The detective proceeded to provide Donna Summers, the manager, with the description of the suspect, a young woman that physically seemed to match a description of Louise Ogborn, and Donna told him this much. After Donna identified Louise, Officer Scott directed her to bring Louise into her office so they could get to the bottom of the situation. Donna complied, telling Louise to come in and informing her of the allegations against her while on the phone with Detective Scott. Louise adamantly denied ever stealing from this woman or anyone else, pleading with her boss not to fire her and just to believe her that she would never do this. She's, you know, saying I was busy. When would I have even done this? You know, or how would I have even done this? I'm behind the register. But Officer Scott, claiming he was coordinating with Donna's boss at McDonald's corporate, slowly talked Donna into detaining Louise in her office, locking the door. He essentially explained That there was an easy way or a hard way to do this. The easy way would be if Donna could simply search Louise for the missing money and resolve this issue, you know, quickly. Or the hard way would be for him to come and arrest Louise, bring her to jail and officially charge her and then search her at the station. In her deposition, Ogborn later said, I was bawling my eyes out and literally begging them to take me to the police station because I didn't do anything wrong. There's a little bit of conflicting information here because Ogborn did initially comply and she did want to do it at the station, but then she changed her mind. So uh, just so you know, there's kind of two sides to this. And, and Donna tells things a little bit differently later. After Donna told Louise her options, a reluctant Louise agreed to turn out her pockets and allow her manager to search her purse and take her cell phone, thinking that this would surely put the issue to rest. Well, she was certainly wrong on that one because Officer Scott didn't think the lack of evidence was indicative of anything because she obviously could be hiding money anywhere else. So he then instructed Donna to have Louise remove all of her clothes and Donna would check those clothes and then bag them for forensic testing. He's not really an officer, is he? Well, (laughs) we'll save the punchline for this. I mean, have you ever heard of an officer instructing anyone to have them remove their clothes? No, no. At this point, assistant manager Kim Dockery was in the room at Donna's request because she felt it would be appropriate for two Mm -hmm. people to be present. Of course. She's like, corporate would probably want this. I'm Mm -hmm. like, corporate probably doesn't want you strip searching your, you know, your employees. According to Dockery, Louise was sobbing. Um, She was so upset and scared. And piece by piece, a very upset Louise turned over her clothing to Donna Summers, including her bra and underwear. That's absurd. Uh, Yeah, she was standing there literally naked. She The only thing that they had in the office that the assistant manager gave her was a dirty apron oh. that barely covered herself in the storage room. Oh. And I'm going to suggest everyone take a look at this because you can see this online. They showed a lot. They had surveillance of this and they showed a lot. And they oh. have, Louise, you can see her. It's a small apron. She's a small girl too. Yeah. Barely covering her chest. Her legs Aww. are exposed. Her, her bottom is, you know, op- it's open. I mean, this was terrible. 
And I mean, this wasn't even the the worst that was going to happen. So Donna would shake her items. She would shake them out and then place them in a bag and then took the bag away. Now, do you see another problem with this? Well, let's just assume that this is true. He would have her touching the items and then how, <laughs> how would the forensic testing go? None of this makes any sense. And what type of forensic testing? I mean, fingerprints, things of that nature. Like what's... Allegedly, they're looking for money. The money's not found. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense to me either. But okay. So Louise uh, was left in the office. Meanwhile, the restaurant was extremely busy. It was a Friday night. And Donna had an earlier problem that day. And she was very nervous that someone from corporate was going to send like someone in for quality control. So she told Officer Scott, look, I I have to get back to the floor. I can't Mm -hmm. be here this whole time. And he said, "Okay, but he couldn't send anyone to the store yet to check on the situation. So Donna would have to have someone watch Louise until he could dispense an officer to the scene. So Donna asked another employee, 27 year old Jason Bradley, to watch Louise while she was. Yeah. While she went back on the floor. When Jason got into the room, he became immediately concerned and he was horrified to see his friend and coworker Louise in just an apron. He had also been handed the phone so he could follow Officer Scott's instructions because Officer Scott wanted to stay on the phone. During this conversation, Officer Scott explained that Louise was probably hiding the money under that apron so Jason would have to take the apron away from her. What? I'm not kidding. You didn't know this, right? This is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. It's going to get a lot more bizarre and a lot scarier. Well, that was it for Jason. He refused. He left the room telling his manager something is very wrong here. Mm -hmm. But he didn't call the police or do anything else. Okay, but at least he... He was not complicit. He knew things. Mm -hmm. He knew this was off. And things were about to get a lot worse. When Officer Scott asked Donna to have someone else stay with Louise, she explained that she couldn't spare any staff. It was too busy. Jason wouldn't do it. She couldn't do Mm -hmm. it. She needed her other assistant manager out there. So the caller, Officer Scott, asked if she had someone that she could trust outside of her employees, like a husband. Yes. And she said, well, I have a fiance, reportedly like laughing in a friendly way when she mentioned it. Mm -hmm. And so Officer Scott made a request that I would think have set off the the most serious alarm bells, asking Donna if she could have her fiance come watch Louise until he could dispense an officer to the scene. (laughs) Megan, you've outdone yourself and you're not even done. I'm not even done that. (laughs) This really is like the most bizarre situation. And that's why I'm saying I knew about, I had heard about the McDonald's hoax, but I never heard of it. They also say it in a way. It's it's a hoax? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I had heard about these cases, but I also think they they almost were mentioned in a more lighthearted way, like yeah. to minimize what really happened yeah. here. And I think it's quite serious when I get through. I think you'll see like, mm-hmm. you know, this is a very damaging situation. So Donna Summers complies, calling her fiance, Walter Nix Jr., explaining the situation and adding that Officer Scott also suspected the girl of dealing drugs. And they were allegedly already at her house executing a search warrant. Um, And so, you know, they were too busy. They were at our house. This is part of a larger investigation now. And so Walter Nix agreed to come help, thinking he was doing the right thing. And, you know, it was for his fiance and a police officer. Walter Nix was a father of two and reportedly a community, you know, a great community guy. I think he was an exterminator. Um, He attended church regularly. There's no alarm bells here. Mm -hmm. When Nix arrived, He was handed the phone and things for Luis got substantially worse because Officer Scott would order him to remove Luis's apron, even if he had to take it by force. And he complied. Nix pulled her apron off of her. This sounds like Stanley Milgram experiment. Are we going to talk about that? We sure are. Oh, my Uh, God. You knew where we were going with this. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Naked and terrified, Luis wanted to run out, but she also felt trapped. She was she didn't want to run through the 
restaurant naked, full of people. And she's with this like random older man. Yes, with a random, and she she's literally naked. Everything is exposed. Also, she had nowhere to go. Her car keys had been taken. So w- what was she supposed to do? I mean, she's isolated. She's trapped. She's scared. She's a kid too. She's only 18 years old. She's a kid, like just her senior year of high school. And while Louise was naked, Officer Scott instructed Nix to have her do jumping jacks and knee bends, insinuating that she was hiding money inside of her and that it would fall out from jumping. What? And I wrote after that, and yes, Amy, before you comment, this really happened. And so you can see on video her doing jumping jacks, jogging. What? Doing knee bends, bending over. Um, How humiliating. Oh, my God. She's crying. I mean, she's hysterical. Officer Scott also had her sit on Walter Nix's lap and kiss him. Wait, because, what? Yeah. So Officer Scott told Walter Nix, she needs to sit on your lap and kiss you because you can see if she has anything on her breath. Oh, come on. You're joking, right? I'm not joking. I'm, I'm serious. I'm really not joking. And I know this is so hard to believe. And he did it. And then things escalated to physical violence when Officer Scott ordered a compliant Walter Nix to bend Louise over his lap and spank her buttocks hard. Oh, come on, Megan. This was to teach her respect and to punish her for disobeying and not addressing Nix as sir, saying that he had to. Officer Scott told Nix, you have to establish your authority on the surveillance tapes, Amy, which captured every bit of this terrifying crime. You can see Nix hitting Louise hard for almost 10 minutes leaving welts all over her. So we're obviously, we're going to talk about all of this, right? Because I need to know, like, yeah, okay. I won't even, I just need you to get to the end because I need to know. (laughs) I know, and I know, I knew you were going to be mind blown on this one. Are you? Beyond, Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you, Luis's abuse was not over yet because in one final demoralizing and torturous criminal act, Walter Nix ordered Luis to perform oral sex on him at the instruction of Officer Scott, or else he would have to hit her again. And so Where's she Donna did this whole time? Hmm. Donna Summers had periodically been checking in on the two, and she knew something was wrong when her fiancé told her that he had to go, inexplicably. But as seen later on the surveillance, it looked like Summers had walked in at least once on her fiancé and Louise when Louise did not have an apron on. She disputes that. She says, every time I came in the office... They were sitting on opposite sides. Walter was just watching her. She had an apron on. The, the, you can see the surveillance tape. There is one time where she comes in. What's unclear from the tape is whether or not she saw Louise. He threw the apron to Louise and she put it on. But Summers had come in quickly. I don't know if she didn't see her in the back or she just doesn't want to believe that that happened. Is she still with him? No. But that I will explain how okay. that evolved later on. OK. And again, this, this becomes a point of contention later on. I know you're shaking your head. I, I, it's it's just it's unbelievable. Um, we will return to that. Oh, and Walter. Sorry. Uh, let me let me just say Walter had called someone and reportedly he said something like I just did a really bad thing or I just made a really big mistake. Something to the fact like he knew what he did was very wrong right after this happened. He like basically fled the restaurant. Wow. Now, OK, so but for now, Donna Summers uh, was told by Officer Scott that he had a fi- she had to find someone else to watch Louise because they still couldn't come there. And she does start to question, like, when are you coming here? What What's going on? And he says, yeah, we're, we're you know, we're just low on, on you know, kind of patrol. We're low on officers now. Everyone's busy. And no one's thinking this might be like. Well, here we go. OK. Louise asks at this point, Thomas Sims, a 58 year old handyman and ninth grade dropout who performed maintenance on the store and who was there getting dessert at the time to help her out and watch Louise. 
Yep. She asked oh, because Walter had left in Walter had left and she had no idea. Because Walter realized he just sexually yes, assaulted, assaulted a, a woman. child. Yeah. yeah, a child. Well, I guess she's... No, but, I would yeah. say a child. And when Thomas got into the room, he was startled by the sight of Louise, naked, covered by an apron, crying. Donna assured him that corporate had it okayed it, though. And then Officer Scott got on the phone and instructed him to take away Louise's apron again so that he could view her naked. But Sims refused. Good. Leaving the room, he went to Donna and he said something is very wrong with these requests. And he was the first one that really Good. made her like really made her see what was going on, I think. And realizing that he might be right, she decided to do what you know she should have done in the first place or one of the things she should have done and call her supervisor, Lisa Siddons, to ask her what she should do. Because remember, Lisa, her supervisor, was allegedly on the phone with Officer Scott at some point and had approved yes. of all this. Uh -huh. Yes. So much to Donna's shock and horror, her boss had no idea what she was talking about and said that she had not spoken with any detective about a theft in the store. It was then that the caller hung up, Officer Scott hung up. It was at that point, too, that a hysterical Donna Summers finally called the real police who arrived on the scene very quickly because, by the way, their police station was a quarter of a mile from the McDonald's. When they arrived, the investigation into who did this and who was guilty of what really began. Wow. I know. I mean, we got to a point where several people were involved. Who is this caller? There's so many questions here. So Mount Washington police detectives had a good lead to begin with. First of all, the entire incident in the office, I told you, was captured on yeah. McDonald's security cameras, which is, you know, great. Mm -hmm. um, not great that this yeah, awful thing, course. but great that they had pictures of it. And also because that 27-year-old employee, Jason, remember the one yeah. who refused to, to watch Louise? He had the wherewithal to press star 69 after the caller hung up. Oh, do you remember star yes, 69? I, do. I totally forgot that existed. Can right. we tell the young folks what that is? Yeah, that was when <laughs> we didn't have cell phones um, or when we didn't have, you know, caller ID. You weren't identified everywhere. You would call. You could like prank call someone if you mm -hmm. wanted to, but you could call someone and I'm not saying this right, but you could call them back. So, so out, okay, fine. Out. So star six, nine, it would tell you the last number that called you, right? Yes. And star six, seven is how you made your number private before you. Oh, someone. that's right. Remember that? I forgot star six, seven. So before you would ever prank someone, you should always do star six, seven. I, I'm probably, uh, I probably wasn't as much of a prankster as you were, yeah. I have a feeling. But um, okay, so they had the phone number. They were able to learn that the call came from a grocery store payphone in Panama City, Florida. What? Yeah, a payphone at a grocery store. But it was placed using a calling card. Detectives called the Panama City PD and asked them to help locate the caller. And it turned out they were already working on a similar case for Massachusetts. But the, the guy knew her Luis's name, right? No. He didn't. Officer he just Scott said. gave a general description of a young girl. Oh, my female about, you know, and it, he knew the demographics of McDonald's, you know. Yeah. Took a shot. Well, at least we think he took a shot yeah. in that way. Okay, so they were able to determine that the card, the calling card, was purchased from a specific Walmart, and they found the time and date. Okay. So what do you think they did next, Amy? Looked at surveillance from Walmart. There we go. And the surveillance showed a white male purchasing the card, and as luck would have it, he was wearing a uniform that had a logo on it. The logo? Corrections Corporation of America. <laughs> oh, jeez. A local private prison. And when the police showed the surveillance to the warden of the prison, he identified the person who bought the card 
as 38-year-old David Stewart, a correctional officer in this prison. Wow. I mean. What a sick fuck. Can I keep just blowing your mind? Unfortunately, the card in the Massachusetts case was bought at a different store with no cashier surveillance, so they weren't able to connect him to those crimes. Nonetheless, Stewart was arrested and extradited to Kentucky, where he would stand trial for impersonating an officer and solicitation of sodomy. He faced 15 years if convicted. Oh, I need to know. What about Donna, Walter? Yeah, we're getting there. Okay, okay. I've almost never seen you this interested. Now, you're usually interested in my cases, but I feel like you're... On this the this is seat. stranger than fiction. Like, couldn't make this up. I couldn't make this up. It almost reminds me of what's the evil genius one with like the bomb and like it's like oh yeah, it's um, on my list. I forget. Margaret wow. is it? Is her name Margaret? I don't know, but I remember watching that and I was like, this didn't really happen. Yeah. And then every time like something else happened, I'm like, no fucking. Way. And this is one of those cases. Right? I know. At every point, I was waiting because I knew the places where you were going to look at me and shake your head and say no or I don't believe it, and it was exactly. Probably everywhere. All right. So let's start with Stewart. At trial, the evidence really came down to he just... Didn't, he didn't plead guilty? He sure did not. He went for trial. The only evidence they had was the calling card. And he's just pretty much like, nope, it wasn't me and that's that. So his attorney argued two things. First of all, that the calling card wasn't his. Mm-hmm. And even if it was, that didn't mean he used it to perpetrate those crimes. So what does that mean? Meaning he could have bought the card, but someone else could mm-hmm. have used the card to do the crimes. He could have lost the card. It was stolen. Any number of things. And yet detectives also found another calling card in his home that was used to call a Burger King in Idaho, in which the caller told a similar story to the manager requesting the manager strip search the employee who was alleged to have committed this crime. I'm assuming it didn't go that far, though. Yes. But you know what, Amy? There were almost 60 of these calls in total and had been going on since 1995. Did any of them go as far as a sexual oh, assault? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to wow. tell you. They, are, they were often made to fast food franchises in rural communities where the targets might be more trusting. Because of the similarities of each case, investigators believe that they were. this was likely the work of the same person. So I'll give you some examples. According to the Courier-Journal, in 2000, a female McDonald's manager in Leachfield, Kentucky, took off her own clothes in the presence of a customer. The caller convinced her that the customer was a suspected sex offender. And by the manager serving as bait, the caller convinced her that it would enable undercover police officers to burst in and arrest him. (laughs) In 2003, a call was made to a McDonald's in Georgia. A female manager believed she was talking to a police officer and she took a female employee to the bathroom and did a strip search and a body cavity search to search for hidden drugs. Okay. In fact, by the time this hoax occurred, at least 17 McDonald's had been conned and the company was defending itself in at least four lawsuits from these hoaxes. There were other chains targeted, too. It wasn't just McDonald's. In 2003, an Applebee's assistant manager subjected a waitress to a 90-minute strip search. In 2004, a 14-year-old female customer at a Taco Bell was strip searched and forced to commit lewd acts. Yes, other sexual acts. In 2004, 16-year-old at Sonic was persuaded to strip search and perform oral sex on a 21-year-old male cook. Had you heard of any of these? No, none. Do you think McDonald's just has good publicists or what? No, I like keep things quiet. Oh, um, because it doesn't look good for the brand. No, it doesn't look good for them at all. And they were they were in the hot seat. I had heard about it, but not at this level. So maybe they do have good PR people. So looking into David Stewart, just so you know, investigators had also found it has when they searched his apartment that he had many applications to police departments, police magazines, guns and uniforms they found in his home. It was obvious that he was someone who very much wanted to be a police officer. 
And I have to say, I would have thought that testimony would have kind of sealed the deal, but the jury disagreed and Stewart was acquitted. Of both, he was two charges? Yes, he was acquitted of both, not convicted of any crime. Is it because they couldn't tie the calling card? Prosecutors in defense, I mean, everyone speculated that it it was not only that, it was that was the only piece of evidence. So there was, you know, a total lack of direct evidence. Which I understand. I Mm -hmm. know. Beyond a reasonable doubt. I know. I I know. Um, And not to my surprise, or maybe to yours, Amy, but the calls stopped completely after Stewart's arrest and trial and never resumed. But as Amy had asked, what about the other players here? What do you think happened to Nix? Walter Nix? I would imagine he was charged with sexual assault. Yeah, he was arrested for his part and he pled guilty to sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and unlawful imprisonment for which she was sentenced to five years in prison. Okay. What about Donna Summers? Donna Summers reviewed the surveillance tapes that night and immediately broke off her engagement after she saw her fiance. Okay. But was she considered like an accessory or anything? Yes. So she was also arrested for unlawful imprisonment. Mm -hmm. Um, But Donna took an Alford plea. For those of you who don't know, uh, I know we've mentioned it before, but what's an Alford plea? Um, An Alford plea is... When you're pleading guilty, but not accepting responsibility. Correct. You're pretty much saying, I didn't I didn't do anything, but there's enough evidence that a jury would possibly find me guilty. So let's just make this easy. Exactly right. So that's what Donna Summers did. Her deal allowed her to serve a term of probation and she was fired from McDonald's. But the story wasn't quite over because both Summers and Louise Ogborn would go on to sue McDonald's for not protecting them or making them aware of these types of hoaxes which was the responsibility of corporate headquarters. And I find it interesting that Donna did that too. I do as well. I'm sure she didn't feel good about what happened. She did not, no. You know, but, like, I, she was just very vulnerable. But. Exactly. And she says that's much in an interview. They were interviewed by John Quinones. Mm-hmm. I know that both Ogborn and Donna Summers. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get the full video, but I did get mm-hmm. many parts of it. And she definitely said, like, I knew I was had and I, I felt awful, but... Mm-hmm. I will say she doesn't think that she's a perpetrator because the questions were like, but how could you have thought this was okay? She goes, I just believed he was a police officer. Yeah, I was I think, doing what I was directed to do. I think her only she's only guilty of being gullible and vulnerable. Yeah. She, she didn't actually physically do anything as far as she didn't. Obviously, she's making the girl strip, but she didn't physically like strip her. Or, no. We have to ask ourselves at what point at the analysis, what a reasonable person would think. It's okay to strip search your employee and to leave males alone with I a mean, naked girl. I, I yeah, it's a bigger question that we're going to have. Think at it's the end. more ignorant than anything. But, yeah, yeah, and you know it's probably appropriate. Her mm-hmm. pleading guilty to a crime mm-hmm. and getting probation. Yeah. You know, it's a punishment, but you know, yeah. not um, demonizing her yeah. for something that wasn't really mm-hmm. that didn't originate with her. At the end, though, the civil jury would see the surveillance, the sheer horror of what Louise had suffered, the hands of people she knew, and they saw Donna Summers' role in it. You know, they mm-hmm. were able to watch everything clearly. At the end, the jury found McDonald's failed to protect Louise and awarded her $5 million in punitive damages and $1.1 million in compensatory damages. Louise, also punitive and yeah. cons- compensatory. I think people probably know, but punitive means this is a punishment. Yeah. So for the punishment part and compensation is compensatory. For like your pain and suffering yes. type of thing. Yep. And this was on the grounds that McDonald's should have told them that hoaxes were going around. Yes, because actually and they were able to show that the cor- corporate did know and um, someone just failed to notify them. Oh. Like they were supposed to. They did have an obligation to make their employees aware that oh. these things were going on. And then maybe Donna would have exactly. it would have been like a red flag. It, okay. it would have completely been. Su- surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Donna Summers was also awarded $1 million in punitive damages and 100000 in compensatory damages. Hmm. So that's the end of the story for now. But 
I'm not sure Mr. Stewart won't be charged in further crimes or that another suspect won't be charged. I mean, I think it was David Stewart, to Mm -hmm. be quite honest. And I do think that there were so many of these cases that it's still possible that they're working. I don't think anyone was happy that he was acquitted. Do you think he's deterred from doing it any longer or he'll just try a new method? I wonder. Hope it doesn't escalate something else. I I do wonder. I think it was probably a deterrent for him. But, you know, we couldn't say for sure. I what we can say is that the calls have stopped. So maybe you judge that as deterrent. Or deter, it deterred the actual perpetrator if he's not the one who did it. That's what right? I'm saying. It yeah. was you deterred know, someone. It deterred someone. So that's the end of the story. But now we have to explain why this happened. There are two parts to this, Amy, though. So what we want to look at is why did the caller perpetrate these crimes in the first place? And why did all the people involved, or not all, but several members, comply? And I think you know where I'm going with this. Yes. Where am I going? Yeah, you're talking about Stanley Milgram's experiment on Uh, obedience. Correct. Okay, so we'll start there. So Yale psychologist Stanley Milgram in the 1960s wanted to figure out why so many Germans had followed orders during the Holocaust, even when they were so clearly heinous. So he set up a guise of a study of the relationship between punishment and learning. This was prior to what we now have, IRBs, which are institutional review boards, which provide protection for human subjects. That's and correct. it's experiments like these that prompted, prompted yeah, <laughs> so, sorry, prompted the development yeah. of the IRB. I was going to mention the IRB later, but sorry. I'm glad you said that now. No, it's certainly um, we have to go through quite a process now when we want to study human behavior. Thanks, Stanley. You ruined it for all of us. I know. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Even though ours are pretty ethical. I know. I know. Uh, OK. Participants in this experiment were greeted by a man with a white coat and clipboard who told them that they would be, quote, teachers in the scenario and introduce them to, quote, students who would be located in another room. The teacher would then ask students questions via an intercom. And they'd be responsible for administering an electric shock to the student when the student answered a question incorrectly and increasing the voltage with every incorrect answer. They couldn't see the student's reactions, but they could hear them Mm -hmm. like yell out in pain when they were shocked. Now, we know that the voltage wasn't real. The device issued shocks that were just a prop in this experiment and the students who were actors in the fake study. But the people who were acting as the administrators, the teachers, they didn't know. They believed that this was real. And so what was really shocking was that this study showed that two thirds of the people who participated were willing to deliver jolts that would have been strong enough to paralyze and or cause worse damage to the subjects simply on the authority of someone in a lab coat who instructed them to do so, even amid the cries and protests of the student. I mean, the moral of the story is that seemingly ordinary people do extraordinary things when directed to do so by an authority figure. And the Stanford prison experiment is another example of that. That's correct. And that one was conducted by Philip Zimbardo in 1971. Um, There's a movie on this one. And this one, have you seen the movie? No, I haven't. I haven't either. I think we should. After this, yeah. I, I definitely wanted to watch it. So what happened in this one might be even worse. Yeah. Zimbardo recruited students to act as either prisoner or guard, and he placed them in a, like a simulated you know, jail or a prison setting. And he quickly found that the guards became cruel and abusive in just a day or two. And the prisoners suffered tremendous physical and psychological effects, so much so that Zimbardo had to shut down the experiment after just six days. This one was really the IRB, you know, the the IRB came after this one because, you know, there was extreme damage to participants. But it also told us a lot about the human condition. So the takeaway here, placed in an authoritative position 
ordinary people acted in abusive ways when they had too much power. Yeah, it's so interesting. Which might also help us now explain Stuart's behavior, Amy, mm-hmm. because that's, you know, the last person that we want to look at. Like, why did he do this? So I can tell you that I couldn't find like a lot about his background, but here's what I do know and what I've concluded. Stuart was a married father of five. Wow. Who lived with his family in a mobile home just outside of Panama City. Five kids in a mobile home? Yeah, yeah. That's what I read. He was a correctional officer who we know worked for that private prison. But, you know, when the police searched his home, they found all those applications. Mm -hmm. And he really had aspired to become a police officer, but he seemingly had not made it. Mm. Beyond that, again, I don't know much more about his background, but I think that he his correctional position gave him power and he enjoyed that. But it was limited in a legal sense. You know, he was constricted mm-hmm. what he can do. I mean, even though we know that correctional officers can do things that are, you know, they can go mm-hmm. beyond. I think he was under, you know, more surveillance. Mm-hmm. And so I think he wanted to exercise this power in a different way and take it further. And I think this he did it in a way that would be viewed as the godlike complex. Mm-hmm. You've heard of this where yep. Stewart felt self-important entitled and he showed an utter disregard for the pain of those who he hurt i wonder if he if his goal was to have it go as far as it did or it was kind of like i was just gonna mess with these people and now it's gotten out of control like you know what i mean like i wonder if his goal was to to have people actually assaulting other people i think i think it probably was i think his goal was to take things as far as they yeah as far as he could Mm -hmm. push people to go he did yeah he did it 60 times or you know he did or you know if there if there was another perpetrator Mm -hmm. yeah so i think the goal was just to push people to see how far people would go see what he could do to other people just at the command of his Mm -hmm. voice is there other I mean, I, I, that's how I kind of best explain it. But do you think there are other theories or another theory that I'm missing? I was kind of thinking of Tittle's control I was, balance. I, I wonder why you didn't say control balance. Well, I thought about it and it kind of relates a little bit to that, like uh, the godlike mm-hmm. complex. And I think, you know, but it's hard to explain because I think I can't think of if he had too much power or too little. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It almost seems like both in a way. It does to me like he had so much power in this regard over people. You know, he he exercised so mm-hmm. much power because they thought he was an authority figure. But I think in his own life, he probably felt powerless. Yeah. And that's why he needed to perp- or he wanted to perpetrate these yeah. crimes. Does that make sense? Yeah. What about theories that could explain Walter? Oh, my. <laughs> Do you know, I didn't even think about that. I think we looked. To, I was looking to the Milgram yeah. experiment yeah. and I was looking to these others. Yeah. You know, I think you could explain that it's just like by human looking. nature. But yeah, I think the you know, compliance, authority. Uh, and then I think maybe he started to even enjoy yes, the probably. role that he, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was as he was going. Yeah. But quickly realized after when taken out of that situation, how wrong, how illegal, how completely yeah. immoral his behavior was. Yeah. All right. So I think that's the best way we can explain it. And it's so interesting. But last, before we go today, we want to talk about whether or not the criminal justice system got it right. So, start with Stuart. I think that from what I heard, I didn't look at the trial transcript. I wasn't at the trial, but the little bit I heard, it doesn't sound like they that they met the burden of proof yeah. as much as I think it might be, Stuart, as much as I would love to see someone held accountable. I, I'm not sure that there was enough evidence. Because I, I do agree. Yeah. I think it was him instinctually. I really do. But, you know, we want juries always to look at reasonable doubt. And I could see, I can't fault them in this case if they had it. So while I don't think that 
you know, justice was necessarily served. I'm not faulting a jury here. Correct. In terms of punishing both Donna Summers and Walter Nix, yes, I think the system got it right. Mm -hmm. I think Donna needed some punishment. I don't, I wouldn't have been okay with her not getting any type of responsibility. Nix, I think five years, I maybe even would have wanted to see a little bit more, but I do think a prison sentence and Mm -hmm. a felon uh, felony prison sentence was correct. It's interesting to think about Walter, like, would he have committed this type of crime if he was not kind of led into it? I don't think so. Yeah. It, he he didn't have a history. Yeah. No, I don't think so. But again, ordinary people doing extraordinary yes. things, not in a good way, too. I feel like Louise did find some justice in the civil suit. And I know... Um, Is she doing okay today? So as I far could as not the, find an yeah. update um, on her. I looked really hard. And I, I do know that afterwards she had given interviews. They were pleased with the verdict. Mm-hmm. But she suffered PTSD. And symptoms that no monetary figure can ever yeah. make up for. Let's just hope that the publicity of her ordeal will serve as a warning to others who might find themselves on the other end of a phone call like the one placed to McDonald's that day in 2004. Wild story. I know. I'm glad you brought that case to my attention. I never heard of it before. And, you know, what a horrible thing that happened to that girl and sounds like many other people who were victims in this situation. Right. I know. I thought this one was different. I became uh, enraged. I was so curious. I mean, this one is looking at human behavior and the oddities and complexities to of us. Yeah, it was it was a nice change of pace. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include ABC News, Courier Journal, The Movie Compliance, and interviews between John Quinones with Summer, Donna Summer, and Louise Ogborn. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.